0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. It's not. Yeah, but it's uh, it's just It's it's the start of a scary movie. They're monsters. If you've never been that
1: close to a gator, it's unreal to to get in there and kind of pull their their jaw up a little bit and grab a hold of a tooth. It's like holding an ice cream cone. It's... Welcome to episode 15 of the Whiskey and Whitetail Podcast. We are your hosts, I'm Matt. <laughs> I'm Gus. And this is the home of the best. No politics, no COVID, no licorice, no towel drying the dishes, no slam poetry, no using the word feng shui podcast in probably the world. <laughs> and today is powered by Bell Bellmead Bourbon. Age to perfection in Nashville, Tennessee, home of the Jingle Bell Rock, the Bunny Hop, and the Hokey Pokey.
2: This Bell Bellmead is specifically the Madeira Cask Finish, uh, which is the third release of their special cask finish series.
1: That is correct, Gus. The Madeira casts are filled with a proprietary blend of well-aged bourbons. The robust flavors from the cast pair well with the spicy high rye content of the bourbon.
0: Mm.
1: Create a striking profile unlike any other whiskey in the world, they say. So these are Malmzy Madeira casts, 30% high rye bourbon, mm-hmm. non-chill filtered, 90.4 proof. Uh, this little pop the little top. Do it. Do it. Do it. Oh. It's a deep one. In all fairness. It was a deep pop. It's almost empty. This bottle's almost empty. (laughs) Bought it yesterday and um, I liked it a lot. So Gus has never had it. I'm excited for him to to try.
2: I'm excited to try it as well. Yeah.
1: One of my favorite things about uh, scotches is the... um, their ability to age or finish their whiskey in things like Madeira cask. Right. But I'm not a huge fan of Scotch. salted barley and right. I just don't, you know, it's okay. So to take a bourbon, which I love and put it in a Madeira cask and then create, make it a whiskey. It's, um, it's really good. I like it a lot. So give it a, <laughs> smells like Fruit. Yeah, it does have um Madeira's a wine by the Yeah, it's a, to, specifically from the island of Madeira. Yeah. I feel like I should have I knew that. You probably did. You remember I used to drink a lot of Madeira. Yeah. I still have a few. You bottles.
2: definitely get you could definitely get some of those on the nose, you get some of those notes from what from, from you'd expect from wine.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm hmm.
1: Man that's delicious. What
2: do you think? Well, that does a little dance. Yeah. On your tongue. Can you taste the Madeira? Yeah, a little bit. It's got a long finish, too. Um, My mouth's like, are we doing this again? (laughs) Your mouth or your liver? (laughs) Both. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, this is good. I like it. I can definitely see uh, why or how you almost polished off
1: a bottle. Yeah. Uh, Andy helped a little bit, but I would guess the majority of it was me. Yeah, it's really good. I would definitely
2: uh having not had this up until now, uh this is something I would definitely consider having
1: around uh, in the house, yeah, yeah, regularly. It's good. So they have a few different ones. Um I should have written them all down, but I did not. But they also have a sherry cask one. Oh really. Which I want to try. Which um I saw it today somewhere. Uh didn't buy it.
2: I've been real I've been the sh the whiskies I've had that are finished in sherry casks have been hit or miss with me. Yeah. Um, same with the uh, port ones that are finished in port casks. Yep. Or port barrels, whatever they call it.
1: I've been all about rise and Jamaican rum barrels lately. Yeah, that's that's good stuff. But the regular Bellmead bourbon is is pretty good stuff too. Yeah. I don't know. That'd be interesting to talk to them and be like, "How do you decide these are the ones that are going to be bourbon and these are the ones that we're going to throw in, throw it away? Yeah, and make it not bourbon."
2: All right. you think do you think it's a do you think they just know we're, we have a batch and we're gonna take a percentage you know of the barrels to do these finishes or do you think they taste them and go eh this needs something extra put it in that group
1: maybe or it's kind of like anything else where there's honey barrels and, and they use the honey <laughs> barrels for their bourbon and, and right. the rest of it is something else yeah. I, don't, I didn't really research a lot about bell mead uh, honestly I mean I know a good Yeah, portion of their story but i don't i don't know how many other brands they possibly contribute to but Hmm. so we have two good topics today one's a whiskey one's a whitetail uh we try to normally do um so the whiskey part kind of starts from a an experience i had Mm. at a liquor store this was in downtown Charleston. Not the one that everyone's thinking of. It's off East Bay. I don't remember the name of it, or I'd say it, because I really don't care. But. <laughs> how, rec- how recent was this? This was on Fat Tuesday, because okay. I was going looking for um, uh, absinthe. Not absinthe, but, yeah, absinthe. Okay. I was looking for that. Just a small bottle for making those um Oh, yeah, the cocktail cocktails you showed I made. me? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this guy had them right there at the counter. but. Ooh. So part of my opening pitch, as, as I've discussed before, it, when they were like, what are you here for? What are you like? Wait, well, I'll be fine. It's always store picks or single barrels. And um, this guy just immediately, you know, some store owners are just dicks. Oh, yeah. So this guy immediately goes, uh, I don't do store picks. I'm not paying extra money for a stupid sticker. And I was like, oh, what? <laughs> he, what do you mean? And he's like, it's the same bourbon. They just put a sticker on it. I'm not doing that. It, and I was like, it's, it's not, it's not- I- though. And uh, he's like, you can't tell the difference. Nobody can tell the difference if, if I have an Elijah Craig store pick or an Elijah Craig small batch. And I was like, do you drink whiskey or bourbon? He's like, of course. I was like, is that your main thing? He's like, no, I'm more of a tequila guy. I was like, well, there you go. I could tell the difference. He just goes, you can't. doesn't mean no one else can. Right. And I don't know how many times i bought store picks and it's, you can't even tell that it's whatever brand it's supposed to be. Sure.
2: It's Because uh, it's dr- so drastically different. Yeah. In many it ways. Be.
1: It can be, yeah. So that's our topic today for whiskey is basically store picks. Um, So for those that don't know, what is a store pick? Um, Tell me, Matt. I will. What is a store pick? A store pick is a private barrel whiskey selection made by the store owner, staff, or outside group. And for outside group, you could think like a bourbon club or even us. Like we could go do a barrel pick if we wanted. Uh, But it's a single barrel of whiskey. And the offerings are normally different blends of barrels, so it'd be like a, a few different samples, and they just send it to you. But it, it's hard to know if a store pick is good because that taste is subjective. Right. Uh, the person making the pick may have a terrible palate or appreciates things like rubber gloves <laughs> <laughs> that other people don't. Um, and then it could be this guy, the store owner, that doesn't drink bourbon and thinks they all taste the same. Yeah, that would doubt. That, uh, yeah. They just say, hey, I don't care, just pick one, and they, they get a, you know— which makes me wonder when they send out the um, samples, if they're like, "Let's see if we can trick this dude into taking this crappy barrel." If one of the samples just, yeah, shit. that could be. <laughs> so, um, did you have anything to add for what is a store pick before we get into?
2: No, I think you. I think you. You nailed it on the head. Um, you know, when I was reading and just to kind of educate myself a little bit more and, and uh, some of the different terms between a store pick or a, AKA a private barrel uh, versus a small batch um things like that. It's, I think what, what interested me was that in a small batch, right? You may have a group or a distillery take, say if, if, they're, a ver- if they're like, if they're a craft distillery, they may take three or four or 10 barrels and blend those together to be a small batch for someone like Jack Daniels or a Sazerac distillery, they may be blending hundreds and that may be considered a small batch for them.
1: Yeah, a small batch really means absolutely
2: nothing. Right. It really doesn't have an
1: actual definition. Uh it could be but, one less bottle. Right. That is a small
2: batch. <laughs> but then from from the store pick or or private barrel, you're getting one single unblended barrel that you get to go taste and choose from. And I think it's I think Aside from that by itself, I think the whole process is cool. And I'm sure we'll get
1: into the process, but... Yeah, I think it is too. And uh, that's one of the reasons that I found this an interesting topic. And I found that as a liquor store owner, he he was... He's like, I'm not paying for a sticker. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It is. Because it... it
2: You can drive traffic to your... If you advertise it that's well. That's what
1: I was kind of trying to lead to. But then I was like, you know, what, screw this guy. I'm not, I'm not even going to waste my, He didn't have anything in there I wanted anyway.
2: Yeah, well... But. You, you've had a couple of uh, interactions with store owners recently that really do two things. One, bother me in a sense that these folks own these stores and seem to have very little understanding of the industry that they are you know, doing business in. Uh, two, reinforces why the people that we know in this area have such good relationships with that. Like, literally, I can count on the, the stores on one hand. That, right. they, that they seem to frequent the most, uh, and it's because the fo- the the folks that run those stores understand the industry. They're active in the community, um, and I you know you can I guess you can be successful with a store downtown when people are just walking in and grabbing right. vodka and tequila because they're college students, and you don't have to cater or really have anything to offer whiskey drinkers because most of them going down there are looking for a plastic bottle to walk around downtown with, yep. um, or. Some a big bottle of Jack or something to stick in the freezer for parties.
1: <laughs> well, as the director of whiskey here yeah. at Whiskey and Whitetails, um, <laughs> I th- it's kind of my job to go find all this stuff, you know, and I have the time and, and I go to work every day where you sometimes usually don't, but in my journey from here to uh, where I work. There's to be clear, there's, I
2: have a job. I just yeah, yeah. currently am working you work from You <laughs> work from home.
1: I, I go into work, but there's three different routes I can take home, and depending on the day... Like, Mondays, I typically won't, and then Fridays, I try to work from home on Fridays. So, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Tuesday, I go one way home. Wednesday, I go another way home. Thursday, I go another way home. Hit so, I'm stores. hitting... Yeah. But, to be fair for the store owners, yeah. the mask thing, because I wear a neck gator, they just can't... They just don't remember you. They don't remember your face. So, it's, it's I'm having yeah. a hard time. That
2: sucks. I didn't think about that.
1: But also... Every time I'm in there, one of two things happen, or both at the same time. Every single liquor store I go in, someone walks through the door, says, let me get a pint of the clear plastic bottle stuff, and then they try to pay with a card, and they have a $5 minimum, and then the guy gets pissed off and walks out. It happens almost every time I'm in a liquor store. Or some... uh, What do I want to call them? Some insert, the guy you know from Facebook, walks into this liquor store and goes... Bro, where is the Blanton's? Where's the Buffalo Trace? You know, and they and that pisses the store owner off. Got an Eagle Rare? Yeah, where's your where's your Eagle Rare at? And like, I try to walk in, be present in the store, look at everything they have because I don't even buy those three things. It's just not. I mean, I buy Buffalo Trace, but I get it online. I don't buy. Any of that stuff, local. But you can't have it
2: shipped to your house. Yeah, I was told that today
1: that that South Carolina doesn't allow shipping. And it's like, I I have several boxes in the garage from almost said the name (laughs) of the place. Not going to say it. Do your own research, folks. You can find it. I'm not going to tell you where it's cheating for you. Or anyway, don't (laughs) get high on your own. Don't sell your own supply. Don't get rid of your your own uh, supplier, man. Yeah. But, um, but that's what I've noticed. Is these liquor store owners probably deal with a lot of shit. So if when you walk in there and you and you start acting, I mean, I just come off a certain way, you know, and um, and I think that that's in my. I do know. Yeah, and I think that's a negative <laughs> for me in this aspect because people assume that I'm the guy from Facebook looking yeah. for Blanton's, and that, and that's not the case. Even if you offered it to me at a good price, I probably wouldn't buy it because I just don't care. But um, cool things. I usually find on the shelf. Like a lot of the stuff that I buy that I really enjoy, I just find on the shelf. Oh, anyway, back to the topic. So the next point I said was, uh, how can you look at a bottle and tell it's a store pick? Mm-hmm. So all bottles um, from that barrel are labeled with an identification tag on the bottle. So it's typically a little orange sticker on the side. Mm-hmm. Some places do their own custom stickers. Yep, um, and names too. I've heard, i yeah. they'll name. But like Old Forester, that blue label, Select, um, and they're right in the middle. It's printed on there what the name of the liquor store is. But it should have the liquor store or the group on it. For instance, Burris downtown, they use a group called Whiskey Docs. Um, the story goes that they're like MUSC doctors. <clears throat> and uh, all their samples for barrel picks go to them, and these guys, I guess, drink them and pick. Oh, but cool. um, But often the group selecting the barrel will also show their name in a creative way. Uh, the default is to use the store name, but recent trends have shown creativity in naming the selection. Um, I've seen like Glazed Donuts, Big Papa, Ricky Bobby. You know, they did one with um, the fake. It looked like Family Reserve, but it was Bill Murray. And It was like <laughs> Murray Reserve, you know. Um, but yeah, so they, they will be identified in some way usually the store owner will be super happy to push them onto you because sure. I think they make, they probably make a good profit on it. Yeah. I'd imagine. Cause they, you, again, they're like, a whole you barrel. have to buy
2: the whole barrel <laughs> yeah. and then you have to figure out a way to sell that. So uh, a lot of these things are, um, from my, from what I've read and my experience, they're crowdfunded. So you get a group of folks together who pitch in to do this. Right. Uh, a store may have though, may have the cash flow to just do it outright and then price
1: it to sell. Did um, you look up any pricing? No, I did. I did not. So just, I didn't look it up. Uh, our, our
2: our method of of googling had some, or research had some ups and downs. The method that I use to try to be different than yours, um, while it has its advantages from a one perspective, uh, it doesn't pull as
1: much yeah. information and data. It's weird. Can you still use the quotation marks to say this is exactly what I'm trying to find?
2: Yeah, you can. You can do a bunch of that kind of stuff, um, but it still doesn't seem to. Yeah. You
1: know. My bad. It's a juggernaut versus a yeah. Smaller. So anyways. Well, that's true. Um so in our experience it's it's been from what we've been told by people, it can be pretty cheap. But if you're getting something special, it's between six and eight grand for however many bottles. Oh, you
2: meant cost. you meant for the actual the price for the actual barrel yeah, itself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um but uh yeah. So that that depends on how many bottles you're getting out of it. But I think most places they guarantee a minimum. So you're you're saying it's gonna cost me thirty or fifty dollars a bottle um at this price. And then once they barrel it, they're like, hey, we 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 were able to squeeze in another forty bottles, you know, and that changes your metrics pretty drastically. Yeah. And then some places will split barrels, they'll offer it to like a bourbon club and say, We'll we'll do sixty bottles minimum. Right. And they'll split a barrel between four or five different clubs, um, but they're usually a few months out. So the one that we were just looking at with, I don't want to say the name, but yeah the one we were looking at, because we're not in charge of it, I don't want to blow anybody's spot, but the one we were looking at, if we did it now and paid by, I think, the 15th, it was a delivery time of mid-December. Really? So I think what it is, is they sell these barrels. Ahead of time? Yeah. So I have three groups that are going to split this one barrel. Mm-hmm. Because if they're, they're sending out samples, you know, four samples, you know, you send out to 10 different groups, hopefully three of them pick that one barrel. And then... So, is there
2: not an option to travel and taste and pick a barrel that way?
1: Some places. I don't think they're going to let you do that for 60 But you do have to pick it up for 60
2: Hmm. Interesting.
1: Or if it's $60 a bottle, you know. Yeah. I don't think... It's kind of... I'm one of those people... I'd rather buy the whole barrel and... You may be stuck with a ton of whiskey, you know, but um, for stuff like that, for us, I mean, we do a lot of giveaways and, and charitable yeah, things. Yeah, it would be
2: cool to have uh, stuff like we're doing next week with WLS and other, other events to
1: have on hand. Well, I think about like the the restaurant that we're in now, and it says Whiskey and White Tails, um, bird and barrel mm-hmm. smoker chunks, yeah. or the chips or blocks or whatever you want to call them if we could get like this event was sponsored, all whiskey is whiskey and white whitetails yeah. pick of, you know, right. Or even get that into restaurants to where they're using it for cooking or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so the next one was our single barrel picks better than regular bottles. And I just said, it depends on a number of factors, including maturation of that single barrel, the flavor profile from it, the palate of the group choosing the barrel. And as always your own palate. Yeah. Uh, so, some so peop- something
2: people should understand is, when you pick a a single barrel, let's say from whatever distillery, um, the mash bill is going to be the same. It may be, it may even sit and age in the rickhouse right next to the other barrels that are going to be used for mass production and blending to to create the the flavor profile that that distillery is known for. But that one barrel by itself, without being blended with with the other, can be so distinctly different that the two bottles are the same minus the special sticker name that you've your group has had added to it. But the taste can be completely
1: different. You know, I didn't even consider the fact that most people may not know how regular whiskey's made. So Buffalo Trace, for instance, mm-hmm. if you buy a bottle of Buffalo Trace in Virginia mm-hmm. and you buy a bottle in Florida, California, you pour them all side by side, they're going to taste. Basically the same, mm-hmm. and like obviously they there will be small differences between batches, but if you do a single barrel store pick of Buffalo Trace, that is probably not going to taste anything like no. what Buffalo taste, Trace, Trace tastes like.
2: Yeah. So like, if for anyone who's listened to the Joe Rogan podcast and um, saw that he was gifted a barrel from uh, the gentleman at Fight for the Forgotten, his whole charity for all the all the stuff that. Joe Rogan's done or whatever. Like he, uh, he, he came on the podcast and gave Joe a number of uh, whiskeys to to sample to get for his barrel uh, from Buffalo Trace. That bot, that barrel by itself is going to taste a lot different than the regular Buffalo Trace that you buy at the store yeah. because it's not going to be blended to create that profile, right? You know, and that's what the the master blender. Yeah, that's what they. That's their that, job, that's their job <laughs> is to is to maintain that consistency and flavor year after year after decade after decade
1: which is why it's so crazy for a store owner to say they all taste the same yeah it's it's not even the same product really i mean you forget that buffalo trace also makes pappy van winkle eht right all these other things that taste completely different so the flavor of buffalo trace is a blended and people like oh i don't drink blended whiskeys i promise you that you do i bet you do (laughs) (laughs) if you only drink single barrels you're gonna have a hard time yeah it's
2: um, you know, it's the people who are very really big on scotches, for example, but don't don't fully understand or know a whole lot about scotches. You know, they'll say, "Well, I only drink," you know, the only good scotches are single malt scotches. And I'm like, it's
1: or the most, north north part I only most drink scotches,
2: like the that's I think it's like less than ten percent of the scotch market are single malt. Most are blended. Yeah. You're telling me out of all the scotches in the world, only the single Malt are any good
1: people are like i only drink spayside it's like yeah, okay sure i mean maybe you know maybe they maybe.
2: do I, I i'm sure i'm sure people do i'm sure people get a a, a flavor a taste that they like and that's what they want to stick to um bud light
1: <laughs> in a bottle <laughs> oh yeah in <laughs> a bottle but uh yeah so so i did uh how how much more expensive are store picks and um Typically, the bottle ranges from five to ten more dollars per bottle. Yeah, we, just,
2: we we bought that score pick of Yellowstone, um, and it was about ten bucks more than yeah. normal, but well worth it. It was definitely an interesting uh, flavor, and I enjoyed drinking it a lot. So
1: it also makes you part of like a group.
2: Yeah, there's a novelty to like it a that. Click. Yeah, it's a there's a novelty to it that I think is worth. If you enjoy whiskey, it's worth ten extra bucks. If if you were really into i don't know fucking cabbage patch dolls and you had an opportunity to get a cabbage patch doll that was you know only one of 60 why wouldn't you for a few extra bucks i don't know
1: what's like the somebody but did a bullet um store pick Mm -hmm. and they did the bullet mustang so the sticker was like a bullet mustang yeah yeah whatever for the store pick and uh we know a guy that likes Mustangs, and he was telling me, he's like, I'll pay $100 for it if you can get it."
2: Is like, that who I think it is? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he would.
1: Yeah. But, you know, people will pay if it's, if it's something. Because I thought that we should do one like the dude from Big Lebowski. Yeah. Like, dude's <laughs> like, good times bourbon, and then throw a sticker from the dude on the back that just yeah. says, like, that's the dude, man, or something simple like that. Right. Dude, if you like that movie, it's a collect now it's a collectible thing. Like I want to have it. Even though anyone could just make that sticker and put it on any barrel sure. they want. But the fact that it's part of a limited release, there was only one barrel that was done. Yeah. Blah 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 blah. So uh where can I buy a store pick? Store picks are becoming increasingly popular. So you could buy them pretty much uh anywhere. But I would recommend getting on Facebook and your area, your local area, or somewhere within where you live. They probably have a uh, some kind of single barrel store pick group. Like, there's several here. Yeah. Um, but yeah,
2: that's what they're known for, right? Like, well, we, we there's a couple of groups that we we know we're, we're involved with. One in particular that's 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 their thing. Yeah, is like several. I think it's several times a year they. Reach out to the, their community, their members, and they crowdsource the funding. I think, or I don't know if they pay ahead of time or what it is, but they they do store picks regularly.
1: One of the things I've seen is they is there's a group that they're not here, but they do a um, like a raffle deal. Uh-huh. So if you buy a store pick and you buy a glass or a shirt mm-hmm. or a hat, um, it puts you in a raffle to get an extra one. Oh, cool! So instead of buying two store picks, you buy a store pick and a you know, $20 glass, sure. and then you have a chance to win. There's a lot of gambling, I've noticed, in the bourbon community. You mean just with
2: raffles and yeah. stuff like that? Yeah. Which yeah, is I, cool. I saw a conversation online um, that was actually uh, started by a store owner, or a manager. And it was it, basically he, the store owner, and another manager were trying to figure out the best way to engage the community and kind of build, build, uh, you know, regular customers. And he was coming up with the idea of, um, instead of when they get their, um, their allocated bottles, instead of, instead of selling them, setting them at whatever price and, you know, he, he wasn't interested in doing the secondary markup kind of thing. Um, he was like, what about doing a raffle? And setting a raffle for these bottles, so that or a bid, a bid, so people come in and bid. That way, people are putting down what they're willing to pay, um, and then whoever wins wins. And there were mixed, you know, emotions on that kind of thing. About you know, it's just a second. It's just another yeah. way to, to crank up the prize. This, right. that, and the other. Uh, but I think store picks, if a store is doing it regularly enough and getting support from the community, I think a store pick is a great way to get people interested and in getting involved with your store. Um, I can think of a dozen other ways, but that's another topic for another time, I think.
1: I just had an idea for another topic. I want to have Colton back and ha- and let him discuss um, how the secondary, like the code words.
2: Yeah, he's really in. He's yeah. really
1: in. Because uh, I could use the lesson, and I'm sure other people could too. Like things like they'll say, Ben, which I just found out is buy it now. So that means uh, you paid. So you just comment, Ben, that means that I paid for the raffle or whatever. Gotcha. But there's a lot of things I don't understand, but they use emojis like the boat is, sh- is the price shipped. And then they'll put like 150 in a deer, which is a buck, 150 bucks. Huh. But there's other things in there that I'm like, eh. like... That's the reason I haven't really done it because I don't <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to post the wrong thing and get kicked out of the group. Oh, uh, yeah. Do you have anything else for the store picks? Um,
2: just that, the, you know, the best way to... To I think find and locate a store pick is to do what we're talking about now, which is get involved. Yep. find Find a Facebook group, find a club. Um, you know, on social media, it, it takes a little effort, and you can find a group of folks, like minded folks in your area. Um, get involved. Make your you know make some introductions. Get to know people. Make an effort to go to meetups, uh, and you'll you'll start to find your opportunities to get access to these things if right. you're interested in it. Uh, building those community or building those relationships within that community with those groups uh, and with those stores too, like going in and getting to know a store and the owner going there for more than just walking in every other week or every week and asking if they have allocated bottles, you know, go in and buy your daily drinkers, you know, go in and buy your mixers. if, If you, if you like to, you know, I'm fairly certain most of us that, really enjoy whiskey. We drink other things. We all like to beat our chest about whiskey, but I enjoy a gin and tonic. I enjoy other drinks as well. And so does my wife. So when I go to a liquor store, I'm not always buying just whiskey. So make, make, make an effort to have a relationship with these folks, support those stores, get to know the owner. Um, And I think when these things, when things like single barrels become available, that, that respect and that sort of camaraderie is, is reciprocated.
1: Well, now I am in the search for a new business partner because this is a whiskey only thing. Okay. Sure. No gin.
2: That's fine. <laughs> no, it says the guy right. holding a beer.
1: Yeah. Why well, everyone knows I like a little, I like a beer. <laughs> no, that, yeah. I mean, you're right. It's, um, you shouldn't go in there and a uh, yeah, it's, it's, you're, it's, if you ask a store owner a question, they're probably going to lie to you. I've noticed because I hear the same lie, oh, yeah, we got a store pick coming, you know. Okay, it's been six months. Yeah, it's on the way. It should be here anytime time. What, what it is is they want you to keep coming back. They're yeah. not doing a store pick. They want you to keep coming back and checking for it. Yeah. But if you get in good with somebody, and I've got one now where I go in and we actually talk, how you been? With things like, you know, his dad just had surgery, and I know all about that, and we talk about how he's getting up and walking again. Yeah. But he will set stuff aside for me from time to time, mm-hmm. or he'll at least be fair and be like, you know, Thursday morning I open at ten a.m. You should be here at yeah. ten a.m. I mean, I, I'm not, but maybe one day. But I'll he's have a that, Thursday he's off. <laughs> he's being
2: nice enough to give you a heads up, yeah. right? And that's not a courtesy that he's probably going to extend right. to very many other people. You know, and that's people. what
1: you get from having, like you said, the conversations with the store owner, right? And getting to know him. Not
2: just. I, I think store owners at, at this point can see right through your intentions, and if yep. you're coming in once a week, not buying anything unless it's the one time a month where you. Manage to snag one of those allocated bottles, then he sees that for what it is. But when you come in and you buy your Jim Beam yeah. White Label label on a weekly basis yeah. or or a handful of other things because that's you make that your shop. I think that that means a lot to those people because at the it end does. of the day, we see that as a place where we're going to to get our get our juice for the week. But he's got he's running a business right and putting right. food on on his family's table and a roof over their head. So your patronage on a regular basis,
1: means a lot. Right. And that's the reason I... I'm proud of myself
2: is, for using patronage like that. It just came right out of there. It's smooth.
1: <laughs> the reason I use that uh, store the most is because it's next to the UPS store. So when people buy something uh, and they choose UPS... Yeah, it's convenient. Which I'd prefer if you did, but it's fine if you do. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it's right next door. So if I, if I ship a package UPS, which is you know three or four times a week, um, I'll just hop in there. And I don't always buy something, but I always say hello and, and kind of chat. And I know everybody's names and stuff's important. Yeah,
2: it's good. It's good to do. Um, shall we segue into the next topic? How long we've we been going, anyways? Yeah, it's thirty minutes on the dot.
1: Nice. That was perfect. So That's the first half. So, along the lines of <clears throat> picking your favorite um, store to buy your alcohol, sure. For us hunters, most of us have our favorite meat processor correct you can do it yourself most people do it I don't know the stats I saw were like 80% of people don't do it themselves and and there's no uh like no shame I mean no I I will do it myself and sometimes I won't but the main reason is because if I do it myself I gotta go buy the vacuum sealer and then it breaks six months later you gotta buy you know it's just a pain so Unless you expand you know, do like yeah. the Livingstons and buy a really nice setup.
2: Right. So it's it is a it's a convenience and a cost thing, right? right? You um if you invest in the equipment, it, it is a heavy investment, but if you make the decision to dedicate yourself to doing your own processing, uh then the equipment will pay for itself because right. there are costs associated with using a processor. Sure. Um, but it is it is quite a bit of work. Like it's it's convenient to be able to hunt Kill a deer, drive 20, 30 minutes to a processor, drop it off, and go back in less than a week and pick up your, your meat order. You're packaged that you up,
1: beautiful in a box, ready yeah. to go in the freezer. If
2: you're going to do it yourself, there's a process. Yep. First, you got to start by field dressing it, which you should probably be doing anyways. Um,
1: well, but then from there, there's. To keep, you got to keep that in mind because some processors won't take it if you did it.
2: It's true. That's because very true. There's
1: a thing about hair, and, and this is coming from someone that worked there. If somebody yeah. brings in a deer and there's patches of fur still left on, it's covered in hair and dirt. We don't want that in... I don't want that in there. I don't want your contaminants on... What people don't understand
2: is that that deer, once you bring it to the processor and it gets cleaned, it gets tagged as yours, uh, it then goes into a cooler to age for a a, a minimum amount of time, whatever that is.
0: Yeah,
1: usually four to five days.
2: Right. And so while that's aging, you you know, if if your deer is all nasty and gunked up, they don't want to put that in the freezer with everybody else's. And you, as a customer... Don't want someone's nasty deer hanging up next to yours.
1: It's also a process. Like we, when I worked there, it was, this is the way they are hung. They're hung by that tendon on the back leg. Mm -hmm. So if if somebody cuts that on accident, now we got to run it through like a spike. And then that just adds problems down the line when it's time to process it and cut it and and grind it up. It's like, what part is this? Where is it? You know, it's, (laughs) it's a pain where you can start from the bottom of the deer and work your way up, pull the back straps out, package them up nicely. Yeah. Um, it just messes everything up. So it's I'd bring it in whole, or or don't bring it in.
2: Yeah, and so like that whole process you just described—the cleaning it, skinning it, aging it, which you should do with your meat, aging it, and then the actual processing, like breaking it down, the different cuts you want, grinding it for right. burger, um, packaging that—that that all falls on you. Yes, and, and it can it, it when you kill a deer, you're you're and you're going to process it from start to finish yourself you are committing to a multiple day process. And it's not, it's one of those things where I've, and I've found myself this way. You kill, you kill the deer and you're super excited to take care of it yourself. You clean it, you get it home and three or four days, it's time to, to process it. You know, the excitement and the motivation sometimes to, to go through yep. that process starts to wane a little bit, but you know, you got to do it and get it done. So you get it done anyways. Um, but as we said earlier, having the right equipment, uh, which is not cheap to get it done effectively and efficiently so you minimize waste and, and meat loss uh it's it's a little bit of an investment that being said I know that when I go to drop off a deer I, I generally do the same order uh with a, with my, with what with our processor yep. that we use uh and I do uh I take the obviously the the back straps or the um and the tenderloin uh and then what they call it the loin roast and the tenderloin which is underneath the, the rib cage underneath the spine and in the rib cage uh, and then i will generally for at least for the first couple of deer of the season do all hamburger yeah because i have three kids that will eat me at a house and home yeah, You so, army <laughs> so i'm feeding a small sports team at the house um and with one that's a teenager it's like feeding two people i swear he's got a hollow leg uh that food makes its way into um and so I will do that for the first couple orders until I get a solid freezer full of hamburger, and then maybe I'll venture into some whole hams, um, whole shoulder things yeah. like that. I cooked a whole shoulder this year it was really, uh, this last year it was really really good. Actually, one that you gave me was yeah. was really good in a slow cooker. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something you have to decide if you're willing. If you're going to commit to it, you have
1: to commit to it and well, have wanna, the things that. I want to touch on the hanging part, okay? Just because so, people are like. It's not a big deal. You, you bring it home, cut it up, throw it in the freezer. So when you talk to people and they're like, I don't like venison because it tastes gamey. Yeah. The good. reason why is because they did that. They killed it, they brought it home, and they, they cut it up and they threw it in the freezer. That is incorrect. I mean, you could do it if you want. It just doesn't taste that good. You have to hang it. Rigor mortis starts to set in and it's there for a good 12, 16 hours. So it takes 16 hours for that muscle tissue to loosen up again. Sure. So if you're if you're killing it, and then cutting it up, throw it in the freezer. You got tough ass meat sitting there that's, that's full of blood and everything else. Yeah. Um, when it hangs in that freezer for four to five days, what it's doing is allowing the meat to go through the process of starting to break down. So it's starting to get softer. All the blood drains out of it. Cause there's blood in the muscles. It's not just the stuff in the veins. Right. But these deer will sit in there and drip, you know, that floor has got to be cleaned pretty constantly. Sure. Um, and sometimes they'll spray stuff on it to kind of help with the aging process, but not, not the one I worked at. They didn't do that. So that's, that's the reason that if you just throw it in a cooler, like we know people throw it in a cooler, it's fine, but you got to keep your eye on it. Yeah. You know, you have to rotate the ice because there you'll get little cavities and the meat will get warm, which you said So had, I, I was going to actually say, I had that.
2: I tried yeah. that for the first time this past year. Um, it's called, uh. Wet aging. Wet aging. You keep you keep the meat or chunks of meat on on ice. You drain it, keep it draining. You know, add ice, that kind of thing. Um, I had never done that before. I thought I had it set up properly, and my mistake was that I opened up the uh, the drain plug. Uh, I was on a Yeti type cooler. They have those wider yeah. those wider mouths. I opened it up all the way, and what ended up happening was that it was letting warm air through that hole, uh, and it was instead of slowly melting the ice. Um, it was rapidly melting the ice and allowing the meat to get uh, to unsafe temperatures at the bottom but from the top looking in it looked like the ice was melting at a nice even and so I I wasn't aware of what was going on until about the second day and then I realized there was a funky smell coming from it and uh, as I said I have little kids Um, most of that meat ended up going to waste because I didn't feel safe Uh, and, and so someone who cares about when I kill an animal, making sure that I utilize it. Um, I took that very, I took that to heart, you know, and I I did more research, realized what I did, and I will not make that mistake again. Um, I wish at this, I I wished at that point that we had not gotten rid of that big refrigerator that we used to have, Dexter, Mm -hmm. because I could could quarter or half a deer and set up one side of that big sliding refrigerator to hang a deer up in there and drop the temperature, and it would have been perfect for that. Um, But, you know,
1: and the other thing people do, hindsight. too, is they leave that 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 drain stop closed. And what mm-hmm. that does is it, it allows water. And you're basically, if you've ever brined meat 24 hours, the meat's like pale and mm-hmm. weird looking. And it's okay if that was your intention. But just sitting meat in regular water, it's kind of like a deer dying and laying in a river. Yeah, And it lays there for three days and you come and eat it. So it's basically the same thing.
2: And so the the moral of, I guess, the story, what we're trying to explain is that the, the how your meat tastes and the quality of the way your wild game tastes um, is directly related to how you handle that meat and that animal once you make the kill. Right. And how you handle it uh, and the importance of it starts immediately. Yes, You know, the the sooner, if, if you're going to do it yourself, the sooner you get those main organs out, right. lungs, heart, intestines, liver, all that stuff out of the body so that that internal temperature the core temperature can start to cool um that's imperative you have to you have to get especially down here where we hunt you know half of our deer season you know it's at shooting light it's still in the 70s if not warmer yeah (laughs) um so once that deer drops it's it's super important to not only get it field dressed but do so cleanly because with such warm temperatures there's still bugs out um it's just not the best so to
1: speak uh and the other thing people don't think about too is the front quarters where the armpits are. Yeah, people hang the deer. If you live somewhere that's cold enough, and you hang the deer, and you don't fillet, because so what, so what you do basically is you take the front arm and you twist it out so the shoulder blade pokes, and you cut around the shoulder blade and you kind of fillet it back because that armpit area will keep moisture in it and it'll yeah. it'll start to rot. Yep. So that's another thing that you know little processor tips that, that most people don't know. They just hang the deer or they lay it somewhere and, and those dark crevices will 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 get disgusting. Yeah. So but in the mind of store picks, if if we had two places doing a store pick and you really like this one place, yep. for instance, this one meat processor, yeah. if they were sold out, you might go to the other place. Sure but if they're both open and they both have it you're going to go to your main spot and Absolutely. that's kind of the way the processor is, is I couldn't imagine going somewhere else but I have a relationship there I used to work there Right it's it's funny I've been there
2: I've been there dozens of times I couldn't possibly count um and I'm sure that I'm sure they see hundreds of people a week Oh yeah um but only from the few the few times I've made an effort to talk with him personally Uh, even leave a message through Facebook. Um, I've run into him at uh, QDMA banquets. Right. And I may only see him a few times a year because you and I will hunt out of state and sometimes we'll process our own deer. Other times, the area we like to hunt up in that direction, it's 20 minutes. Um, It's a pretty easy, with all the other things we have going on (laughs) on a weekly basis, it's an easy decision for me to kill a deer and bring it there. Right. Not because it's convenient, only because it's convenient, but they do a fantastic job. But when I roll up there, and he greets me by name and knows what we're up to because you know him I know him that 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 makes it a, a a non-factor in terms of deciding where to go
1: that and his beef fat is what's going in those burgers which right some places they just get the cheapest fat they can get right. and you have no idea where it is where it came from what that animal but they raise ate. their own cattle they raise their own cattle and so you're getting good quality meat which is one of the points i i wrote down was um yep i have so are these kind of like
2: what to look for in a processor because I have a list of things like to consider.
1: Yeah, uh, but one of the the for the fat content, you should yeah. keep it low. Okay. And, and I was always about keeping it high because I like the f- fat content. But th- what this, what I was reading mm-hmm. is that venison is a lean meat and it right. has a distinct flavor. You yes. throw fifty percent fat in there and now tastes like cow it's fat. completely different. Yeah, yeah. So if you're wanting to eat venison for venison, you should keep your your fat count yep. low. But with that in mind. It, If there's no fat, it's hard for it to stick together. It's true. Kind of hard to make burgers out of it. It is.
2: There's. I think even on their menu, they recommend like ten to fifteen percent. Yeah. I find that the fifteen percent works really well for me uh, for the flavor, and then to help hold it together, whenever I'm making burgers, I will mix um, an egg. In there or cheese, egg and Um, cheese. I've never done cheese, uh, but I will use like Italian breadcrumbs, and Mm -hmm. it adds a really
1: nice flavor as well. I've heard of people doing saltines.
2: Yeah, I've heard of that too. Crackers, you can do crunch up crackers. Ritz crackers, not saltines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're you're camping or going somewhere and you're planning to to bring some of that with you, you know, saltines or crackers can be used for other snacks, so it's an easy thing to bring along, dual purpose. But, um, yeah, so in terms of, like, we've sort of talked about the things you might want to look for if you're going to locate uh, single barrels or, or, or store picks, right, and how to kind of identify those, but if you have multiple processors to choose from, like, how do you go about doing that? So as someone who's worked at a processor, that's a very, a very high quality processor. I thought I saw something over there moving
1: around. Um, It's uh, it's the, (laughs) it's my pool boy. (laughs) Uh, That sounds worse than it is. Matt has a cabana boy. No, I have a, I have a plate. I pay for a pool cleaning service because I'm lazy and they're, I thought I I was
2: losing my mind for a second ago. I saw something
1: move and I thought maybe I was just. Well, no, my ring doorbell went off and I was like, who is this walking (laughs) through my yard? And uh, I realized it was. That's funny. Uh, So in terms of like, if you were starting from scratch, like
2: let's say you moved to a different state and you were, and you had a couple processors to choose from in your area. What are some things that you would look for in selecting that? who you were going
1: to start going to. So I want to combine that with the process because the process is important to understand why I would pick a certain place. Let's do it. So my short answer is price, but it's not the price you think. Okay. And I'll explain. So this is how a meat processor works, specifically, well, I mean...
2: I'm I'm glad you got this data because I had it pulled up and I realized when I got
1: here that I didn't transfer it over to these notes I have. So this is how they work they have intake skinning hanging processing packaging selling that's that's the process right. so how do they make money is they make money on they don't pay for the meat you are supplying the meat sure. and you're basically paying for the service now depending on what service you're getting it can cost more so if you're getting added fat they're going to charge you for the fat if all you're getting is everything quartered out and and thrown in bags it'll be cheaper um, but if you're paying for sausages and stuff like this, I mean, they have machines, they have dry aging, they have these big smokers that they, I mean, they, it's amazing how much they smoke. Um, so I wanted to talk about yield. So if it's 150 pounds, okay. you you can expect about a 45% yield on the weight. And people were like, that's less than half. Yes. But there's a bunch of bones. Yeah. There's a bunch of fur, there's organs, there's stomach guts, you know, Blood, there's all kinds of stuff Body in there. fluids. Yeah. Yeah. So when you... Finally, bone it out skin it bone it and all that it's about a 45 percent yield yeah. so 150 pound deer you're going to see about 67 68 pounds of meat which is a lot um but that can also vary because of what's called a butcher's cut so the butcher's cut is what the butcher cuts that keeps yeah so things like the back strap anything you specifically want i want the ribs i want the back strap i want the tenderloins i want the shoulder the yeah. quarters whatever you're going to get that but if you say, I want hamburger meat, so say we're going to take 20 pounds and turn it into hamburger meat, you'll get about 16 pounds back. Um, or I'm sorry, you'll get 20 pounds back, but they added in fat, so it's about 16 pounds. Right. So that's how they factor it in, so you're not like, you know, what the hell? Uh, you know, I gave you 20 <laughs> pounds of meat, you, you gave me 20 pounds of hamburger back with fat in it. Yeah. Pe- most people don't think about it, but that's what it is. You're, you're missing five pounds or so, um, so they kind of swap it out. And a charger for it. Um, so the butcher's cut—that's how they make their jerky. That's how they make all these things they sell in the store. So right. when you go in there and they have venison jerky and they have you know other things for sale that aren't your meat, right? Um, that's where that comes from. And I wanted to talk about whose meat do you get? So again, if you if you say I want the shoulders, I want the backstrap, that is yours. If you get hamburger, that's not your deer. Ever. Okay, like hardly ever on a small enough processor, maybe but um, something like us that, that takes... They're, they're, I mean, ri-
2: they're writing down based on your weight and what you asked for, how, yes. how many pounds you should receive. Right. And they're dumping... Yeah. Probably close to hundreds of pounds through
1: a grinder a day. Because if you get five pounds of hamburger meat, they're not going to take five pounds no. of your deer, and a grind of, it up by itself and throw it in... It. No, that's not A how lot of them have minimums, like... You yep. have to have a minimum amount, of, and usually that's packaging. So yeah. if we have a ten-pound roll, you get ten pounds. That's yeah. the minimum, and we're not turning the machine on for less than thirty or whatever it may be, right? But what they're doing is they're taking all the scraps. If you're getting ten pounds of jerky of uh, ground beef, they're going to take um, ten pounds of meat and throw it in the processor, and you know, and it sits in this bucket for a couple of days before they end up mixing it all together and making the ground. Venison or the burgers or whatever. Um, but one thing about processing is you pay for it up front. So you go in, you pay for it, and then um, you pick it up later, or you wait until the product's done, you come in and pay for it. And most people do it that way where they drop it off, they do their little recipe thing, then they come back when it's ready and they pick it up. Some people don't come pick it up. So if you are just wanting some venison, you could probably go to your processor, and they'll have a board, like ours, mm-hmm. has a board, and it says, if you know these people, they have meat here they haven't come to pick up. If you walk in there and say, uh, yeah, let's see, uh, Mike, yeah, Mike Jones, the guy right there on the first, I'm here to pick up his meat for him. They'll sell it to you, guaranteed, every time, because they want it gone. Yeah. But they're they, not allowed to sell they you. You can't advertise that no cuz you can't buy it's not fda approved so you can't so go have, in there and buy it
2: i made some notes about that cuz people ask why can't why can't i just go buy some i said well so i i i took some notes down to kind of explain explain some of this um so there's no law prohibiting the sale of actual wild game meat what it is is that you can't sell uh uninspected wild game meat. So there are plenty of places in the country where you can go buy wild game or restaurants, but that wild game has been inspected by a... A food inspector. A food inspector, and there's a process for that. So a good example I read while I was researching this was there's a a huge ranch in Texas that sells wild game meat. And the way... Yeah, that, they the, sell
1: access, and they sell it everywhere. And we actually stopped there when we lived in Texas.
2: Yeah, so there's, there's multiple of them that do this. But yeah. the way this one works is... When they go out to do what they call a harvest which we've had a discussion about using that word yeah um, when they go out to kill the animals they actually have an inspector that they pay to come with them and they have a special trailer they pull on this behind a truck it's like a mobile slaughterhouse yep they kill the animal it's inspected on site while it's still on the ground by the inspector as they field dress it and he monitors the whole process that's what Yes. That's the level of detail that goes into processing and certifying wild game. Right. Different, obviously, than cattle or other pork and things that are, that are. in, in terms of those whole facilities are monitored and quote-unquote inspected. Now, if you want to talk about the quality or health of the meat in comparison, it's another conversation. Yeah, yeah. But the, the, at the end of the day, there's no law against selling wild game. It just has to be inspected. Right. And most of your processors that, that you go to take a deer to or your other wild game, that game is not being inspected because no. it has to be inspected from the point of kill. Kill. Um, now, they may have other meat. So like our processor, you can go buy beef shares. You can go buy steaks. You can buy uh, pork, uh, hams during the holidays. That stuff's all inspected as part because they
1: raise those animals on site. Um, well, to, to follow up on that, Well, let me answer my question first. So price, usually the most expensive. So the guy that charges the most, that's probably who I'm going to pick. Okay. Because of the processes in place and they know that they're good. And typically they're super busy, so they raise the prices. So people that are really cheap, they're probably not very good. Of the ones we have in our area, the one we go to is pricier. Very expensive. 20% above everybody else. But it's well worth it. Well worth it. But I wanted to talk about the inspection. So the reason... People get weirded out about eating snake or gator, rabbit, and it's like, oh, it's a pet, you know. Even dogs, like, you can't eat dogs, can't eat cats, you know. So when the FDA kind of came about, there was a guy for every species. So pork, chicken, beef, venison, rabbit, you name it, bullfrogs, there was a guy that inspected that animal. Now the harvest factor doesn't really equate so for every 10 cows brought in you might have one deer brought in so you're paying this deer this deer FDA guy to sit there and say i wish somebody bring some venison in i'm just sitting here so you're paying this guy so they started doing discounts and they started saying okay only on tuesdays do we process venison only on certain days so then they started doing discounts we're gonna we're gonna hire this pork guy full time because we do a lot of pigs yeah so if chickens Beef, so pork, chicken, and beef, the three main proteins in America, pork, chicken, and beef, the reason that those are the three mains is because of the FDA, because they quit paying for the venison guy, they quit paying for the rabbit guy, they quit right. paying for the snake guy, okay. so it just became, if you were a snake farmer, <laughs> it's like you have nowhere to take it anymore, sure. so this, my city, my county, my state doesn't even have a snake FDA guy anymore, so I'm out, I'm out of the business, and so I'm going to start raising cattle. Huh. Because there's a cattle guy. right? So that is the reason we eat pork, chicken, and beef. It's not because they're pets. It's not because they're gross. It's not because of any of the things that were put into your little brain as a child. It is only because they cannot be FDA inspected easily Right, where and, pork, chicken, and beef can And it. purchasing those, in order to be able
2: to purchase those, they
1: have to be inspected. Yes.
2: Those animals, if you go to other countries in the world... Not inspected. Not inspected, and they are readily available yeah, on they're a everywhere. menu.
1: <laughs> like in Afghanistan... It, on the streets there, they just have like stuff. I mean, you, can, you, wanna, you want half a goat? Let's walk down. You yeah. Need, you take a little convoy down there and buy half a goat. Right. They're just there. I mean, there's flies all over them. They're nasty as shit. And they've probably been dead three days sitting in the sun. But that's what you get. You're boiling it anyway. So it doesn't really matter. But yep. and that's why people get sick when they go to other countries, because there's things that are in the meat that we don't have in the meat here. Sure. And that's why. So for anyone that's like, oh, I don't I don't like the taste of venison or, or it's just weird. It's a it's a it's a mental block. So it's your own problem. It's not anything else. It's because <laughs> you, you bought into the pork, chicken, and beef conspiracy. and, that, right. and that those are the only animals we're supposed to eat. Yeah. Which a lot of religions won't even let you eat pork. It's true. But pork is disgusting. I'd rather have venison. I'd rather have eat rattlesnake than pork any day of the week.
2: I've never... Uh, I've had snake, but not specifically rattlesnake, I don't think. Either way. Yeah. So you said price. Yes. Would be the biggest because you feel like uh, on on average a higher price for the processing equals better processes and confidence in that.
1: So obviously there's going to be an exception to every rule where this place is just. As I'm sure, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Just like anything else, for instance, the wife, her scout, she's booked like six months out, and I keep telling her like, if you're booked six months out, you're too cheap. So she raises her prices, and it, and it'll drop down, and then it comes back to six months. I'm like, you're too cheap. Raise your prices. It's the same thing. These meat processors, I mean, how many times did, we'll go ahead and say the name, how many times did Cordray's close this year? Oh, yeah. Because they, they just can't take the people. Just, right. They don't have any room for it. There's too many yeah. deer being brought there. Yeah. They said. So they are super expensive. They keep raising the prices because they can.
2: They said this year that it was because more people were hunting as a yeah. result of COVID. But for sure. Maybe, but, uh, but I mean, I've, it makes but sense. I've watched a steady incline or a steady increase in the past years of those text messages and those emails or, or Facebook posts that go out and say, Hey, our freezers are full. Please come get your shit. Yep. It's just, it's more and more, more, more frequent.
1: Yep. Um, I think I know a lot of people that have have gotten into hunting, especially I'm not saying that I talked them into it, but I think everybody has some kind of childhood hunting story. And then as you get older in life and things kind of slow down and, and, you start thinking, man, I need a hobby, or or, or I want to get into something, or, or you know, somebody that's a hunter. But a lot of people I work with, that I was the only hunter there, other than one guy. Yeah. Um, and now I know a bo- I get invited. I got invited this week to go on a hog hunt. And it's, yeah. You know, that's what got me back into hunting. I I hunted small game with my dad growing up, squirrel,
2: yeah. rabbit. You know. Um, went through middle and high school, kind of fell out of. Still like to fish a bunch. Right. Camp. I still enjoy the outdoors moved here. And uh, I remember, I can remember it clear as day was sitting in a, in an office area with uh, our friend Bo. And he, shout out to Bo. um, He was like, I have a a club that I hunt at. You should, you should come hunt some deer. I was like, you know, I, I think at that point in time I'd hunted deer a handful of times as a kid. And I was like, I got no other hobbies. Why not? And so I ended up going and hunting for the first time in many years hunting deer down here in South Carolina at uh, a place called Bulo Bulo Hunt Club which fast forward uh, seven or eight years from now that property which Bo knew the the owner um, they turned into a hunt club fast forward like it's like seven or eight years that property had been sold to the city and turned into a place that you could rent. Yep. And that's where I got married. Yeah. That, oh, really? That, that's where that, you hunted? That house on that little island yeah. in Milt Lake. I knew I knew that name. Yeah. Bulow is, is the, uh, the, it's called the Lake House on Bulow. It's now mm-hmm. part of Charleston County Parks. You can rent it out as like a lake house. Um, that was a private residence and that's where I hunted. That's what got huh. me back into hunting. Big game down here in Charleston. Uh, and then, like I said, fast forward, I ended up getting married there, which is kind of a, kind of a cool full
1: circle story. Yeah. I didn't know that. I never told <laughs> yep. that before and I was there at your wedding you were in fact stood yeah. right next to you up there at the altar that's right I was so, speaking of shout outs and, and kids I want to give a shout out to my buddy Gavin okay <laughs> I heard that you listen buddy so I wanted to uh, say you're my favorite listener I'll have to I'll have to
2: remind him make sure he, he he has his moments with podcasts where he's really into him and just like you and I yeah he's young Listen to him for a while and he's
1: how old is he now 14 he'll be 15 this year jeez about to be driving
2: dude tell me about it man he started shaving this year. Did he? Yeah, his, his voice dropped like
1: I noticed Like one day octaves. I came over there, and I was like,
2: who are you? I, I, told, <laughs> I tell people the story all the time, and I know I told you, but I swear to God, I woke up one morning, uh, and I was downstairs, because I get up, usually most days I get up before everybody else, and I'm downstairs kind of getting my day going in the office, and uh, he gets up a couple hours later b- before school starts, and I heard Jessica say something, and then I heard, good morning, like super low, <laughs> and I was like, who the hell is in my house? Like, I thought there was a grown man in my house. Yeah. Uh yeah, it was just him. And if you ask him about it, he'd
1: just kinda get this shitty grin on his face and he'll get a little shy. But I remember my voice came in and then I I forced it for a while. Like I got a crackle one day and I was like All right, so this is how I talk now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah,
2: he's uh he likes to listen. Um he always asks questions. I, he was asking questions last night about uh He's he like, Yeah, they all look the same color and everything. Do they all taste the same? Well, pull so up a
1: bar stool, Friend.
2: Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> I was like, Well, you know, this one I pulled up one and it was uh it was uh Jim Beam double oaked. Yeah. And I explained the process to of double oaking, the double oaking yeah. and why that will taste different to regular Jim Beam right. you know, as an example and he uh he finds that very interesting. So, you know, fast forward when he's a little bit older, we can actually sit and enjoy some whiskey and he'll I think I'll have a better appreciation for it than most uh for than sure. most kids his age. But uh yeah, yeah, he'll enjoy the shout out for sure. So, um, so to go back and kind of wrap up the whole processor thing, um, if, if price is maybe not, maybe not the, maybe the price, let's just imagine the price is all the same. Yeah. You have three to choose from and all three have the exact same, um, prices some things some things i'm gonna look at are the
1: packaging right um, that was the first thing that came to my mind
2: i've seen I've seen processors uh that they have these little uh, these little stuff sacks that they shove meat into and then it's
1: yeah, and they're tied at the top. they're tied at the yeah. top
2: and i I mean I get it if you're a business and that's just that's just what you have to operate with but cordrays everything is vacuum sealed and labeled it tells you your name so if you have multiple hunters in your household you can you can. Hey, let's cook the, you know, let's cook the especially with having kids, right? Yeah. Like it means a lot. It's going to mean a lot when my kids get their first deer and we pull up to the dinner and and we we prepare a meal and I can say, "Hey, this is this is the deer that Gavin or Nolan or Leah shot." Yep. Six months ago, four months
1: ago, Gavin supplied us dinner today. Yeah,
2: you know yeah. That, that 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 means something, and I think it brings the whole thing full circle. So packaging is huge, like mm-hmm. being able to see all that. Um, it's just packaged well at that processor. Um, I like the way they do their little their burger rolls.
1: Yeah, it's just like going to a store. It's crimped on both ends. It's
2: crimped on both ends. They're about a pound a piece. Yep. Um, so it's very convenient, and uh, when you pick it up, you get it in a nice wax coated box. Yep. Stays nice and cold. I've never. Um, at one point where I lived, it was a f- almost an hour drive to Cordray's. Never have I driven from Cordray's with my meat back home and had anything fall out. It's always stayed
1: nice and cold. So, And that wax coating is also to keep the moisture so it doesn't um, corrode or erode. Destroy the box. So the oh, box like when it get gets soggy. wet and soggy? Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. I didn't know that. Because it lives in a cold environment. And, yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah. And it goes from, I mean, obviously the meat is warm when you put it in there and it takes a, and they flash freeze there so it's doesn't take hours, but it does take a little bit of time.
2: So aside from that um, cleanliness of the place, um, the place, when I roll up there anytime, is always wet. And that's not in a bad way. It's because they're constantly spraying spraying things down, keeping it clean. It keeps the smell away. That keeps
1: other stuff away that you don't want. It's just unsightly to see blood everywhere. Oh, yeah, of course. And, Um, And most people shoot deer in the guts for some reason. So there's, you know, carrying it inside when you start cutting it, and our, it down.
2: Except for our sniper friend, we yeah, have our
1: sniper friend doesn't do that. Um, so, the- but the cutting floor there will be, you know, entrails. Uh, yeah, of like course. A, it kind of looks like diarrhea sure. on the inside when they. I mean, when you <laughs> From shoot, gut shot, yeah, yeah gut it's shot. Nasty. is disgusting. It really is, and and you actually lose a good portion of meat in that because a lot of like, if there's a hole in that gut. Leaks into the hole. We're yeah. cutting it out. We're not leaving that in.
2: I tell you what. It, and if and if you choose to uh, to process a deer that you gut shot by yourself, it's actually a very good thing for you to do because the process of cleaning that of that deer after a gut shot will make you think twice. So hard yeah. before taking a, sh- a questionable shot again. Yeah, you won't do that. Um, again. No, absolutely not. It's one of the reasons I, I would I quit rather there. I would rather go uh, without that extra meat in the freezer than to deal with
1: a gut shot deer, just not doing it. It got to the um, point that it was affecting me. Like. like mentally? It, yeah, like when I pull oh, venison I out, because the smell, because you know I have a smell thing. Dude,
2: I tell you what, man, I, I completely agree. Whenever I process a deer myself, there, are, as you know, there are smells involved, yeah. even when it's not gut shot. There's yeah. just, the insides have a smell to it. And do, I can shower five times, and I still feel like I have that smell on my yep. beard or my Stays hands and nose. And it, and and it's a little hard for me to eat venison for a couple days afterwards yep. just because that smell is there. Um, it's kind of weird the way that works, but at the same time, uh, I can also take a fresh deer that I just killed, that if I can pull the backstrap off and cook it right away, right away. I'm
1: all about it. Yeah, so it's it's, gonna do it. it's a
2: weird, uh, it's a weird. I think uh, it's
1: because the the backstrap part. You're just kind of right there as the heat of the moment. You're typically starving after a hunt.
2: But yeah, if you if you're in that if
1: yeah if if you're in that situation. When you're sure. at home, you thaw it out, you pull it <laughs> out of the fridge, and sometimes that first smell, like I'll have flashbacks. Of, yeah, it's like,
2: maybe I'll just have Cheerios. Yeah, <laughs> and
1: I, but I mean, I, it's you know, it's a it's a difficult. I don't know. It's everybody's different, right? But I, I feel like I have a pretty sustainable stomach and and mental thought process as far as it goes to harvesting and yeah. eating animals. So I had a match. So a lot of these people that are like oh, it's just gross. I get it.
2: Yeah, I get it too. It's all there
1: right. is a mental block. I mean, there's things. For instance, lingua. You ever had lingua? What is lingua? Cow tongue. Oh uh, no, I've not. Uh, well,
2: it's in tacos,
1: right? People do it a lot yeah, in tacos. tacos yeah, i Yeah, yeah, yeah. For some people, they, like Andy, won't even try it. No matter how much I'm like, it's so it's you know, basically you, shredded beef. Yeah, you, you know how I had it,
2: and then I realized, oh, that's really good. Is it was given to me to try. And I wasn't told what it was. Was it
1: shredded or cubed?
2: It was shredded. Yeah. And so it looked like pork. You know, so I'm thinking, you know, pork or whatever. I tried it. It was really good. And then someone's like, that's cow tongue. And yeah. I was like, no shit.
1: I'm all about it. Not bad at all. I've been told this. Somebody I talked to said that, and I, I don't remember who said it, but so with that in mind, I'm not going to say they're lying, but they, they <laughs> said that they had it, um, but it was cubed and you could see the taste bud still. I've never seen it that way. I mean, you can buy it that way, but I'm typically sure, you skin it. It's I'm skin. sure
2: someone does it, does well, it that skin. way. But like y- it, usually, the way I've seen it cook, because you know we both enjoy watching cooking shows, usually it's it's cooked in a way where uh, it's first boiled, yeah, and then that that outer layer just comes off. Like yeah. you don't you don't it's include that pot
1: food. Yeah, yeah, for
2: sure, 100. percent
1: I've made it before for Andy, and you know I, I intended on giving it to her and then being like, ta da. And the process was so long and I was so sneaky about it that I honestly forgot that it was tongue. And I didn't tell her until like months later. I was like, you have had it. I made it for dinner. That, and she was like, you never told me that. Yeah. And then surprised. I thought, I wonder if I, dreamt, if I dreamed it. But Maybe no, I, I specifically remember skinning the the outer casing off of it.
2: Weird. So. It's a strange thing to remember.
1: Yeah. I mean, you start cutting taste. I mean, how many times have you cut taste buds off something? We'll have to take this you, conversation offline. You remember that, yeah. <laughs> Don't look in the holes in my backyard.
2: Yeah, um, there's a reason those tulips grow so well in that one yeah. spot. No, um, so we keep going off on tangents, which is fine because it's our podcast and we do what the fuck we want to do. Well, we do.
1: get told. I get told all the time that uh, our conversation, our conversations are easy to follow, and before you know it, the podcast is over. So oh. I, I think if we are robots going, well, thank you. Bro, this is how a store pick works, you know. So I think the tangents are good. Yeah, tangents. Like we try to be informational, but also we're just—it's just. Well, I guess it's
2: less. I'm less worried about it being a tangent, and I don't want to get so far off track that we're. Oh yeah, we can't get back. Yeah, can't get back on track. But um, so the packaging is big. Um, Also, and this is something that I've never had an opportunity to do outside of just what you can see from inside the uh, the storefront area. But understanding what the processor has to offer in terms of like refrigeration and storage, right? Yeah. You want to know that it's not going to be a regular occurrence that they have to close because they don't have any more room. You know what I mean? Like there was a, the reason I, the the story I told earlier about doing the wet aging thing for the first time last year and having issues with it. The reason I did that is because Cordray's was closed. They were too full and people weren't picking up their, their stuff. So I killed a deer And it was one of those things where it was like, it was raining and you and I have both talked about later in the season being busy and not always being able to seal the deal and getting enough meat in the freezer. I had an opportunity to shoot a deer. I wasn't going to let it go away just because it was raining and I couldn't bring it to a processor. Yeah. So I shot the deer. I field dressed it, got it home, did the whole thing, ran into some bumps, you know, as I said in the process, but um, if a processor has a smaller capacity and that's a regular occurrence. I don't want to have to, and, and I, and I want to use them for their services. I don't want to have to constantly be checking and and planning my hunting around when they're open or not. Yeah. Uh, so if, uh, maybe you can speak to the Cordray's and hopefully they don't mind being mentioned by name in this, but like in terms of how much space they have, because when you pull up there, you see the front area kind of where, There's the one big area to the left with the window where they have big gators. You can see them in there. Um, You can kind of see what's going on in that front door after they weigh your deer. And then there's the storefront area where you can buy hides and place your order and buy other stuff. And on occasion, when they bring your order out, when you go pick it up, you can see inside that big freezer area. But outside of that, there's really no insight into what the rest of the facility looks like. Like How far back does it go? How much space do they have?
1: So let's... Let's say the place is shaped like an H, just so it's easy, because okay. it is basically an H. Okay. Um, if you walk, if you're looking at the H, um, you know, take an H standing up and then lay it down, just lay it straight back. Yeah. So let's walk around behind the H and come in that side of the left side H, come okay. in that back door. Yeah. So right there, they have a cattle chute where the cattle come in and that's where they okay. dispatch them and they start hanging them. And then from that point, all the way through the facility, they have these um, kind of like train tracks running through the ceiling where they hang the meat and they push they can it, through. Move it. Okay. So that H right there, that little area, there's a wall that divides it. There's a freezer there that they use for gators. Okay. Um, and they also use it for the beef. And the reason I think that they keep the beef and the venison cooler separate is because they dry age their beef a lot longer. Yeah. But they use a chemical they spray on it. And a lot of people come in there and they go, "I can smell the death in here." You can't. You're smelling that chemical. Okay. The chemical smells odd. I don't really like it. Yeah. I'm not a fan of it. Um, is that do
2: you know is that common in beef in yeah. the process? Yep. Okay,
1: it's kind of what starts what the is outside. Okay, so it's that, it accelerates that yeah. breaking down process. Yep. Uh, like if you look at a a long aged beef and it's got like that, I don't know, like brown skin yeah. color on yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. it. That's kind of what starts it. Okay. Accelerates it. Interesting. Um, and then in there they have a long table where they do the gators. So there's plenty of room for like a. 15 foot gator yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is crazy to watch it's like the things are wearing armor so you can yeah. imagine what they use to take it off
2: it's always exciting when you you get notified they'll post on facebook that they have a big yeah. gator um, and sometimes you're fortunate enough to kill a deer around that same time uh, yep. and show up and be able to see and it's weird seeing
1: that did di- i work there during gator season a giant dinosaur laying on the floor walking that cooler and it's it's there's you know 15 20 <laughs> 10 10 plus foot gators in there yeah. it's it's like you the track, you saw like I'm not going to get into that but where there's there's something back there that you got to get to but walking past them it's like a little eerie yeah you're like I like just want to make sure <laughs> I mean you know it's dead but but maybe it's not yeah but it's, it's just it's, it's, st- wild, it's the start man. of a scary movie they're monsters if you've never been that close to a gator it's unreal to to get in there and kind of pull their their um, their jaw up a little bit and yeah. grab a hold of a tooth it's like holding an ice cream cone it's
2: so big oh man
1: it's wild. But, Um, so in the front part of that H, they have like a little washing station there's a knife sharpener there. So the long part that's in between the two branches of the H, that middle piece, that's the deer processing area. And there's, um, a storage room in there with a bunch of hooks on it, you know, for hanging the meat that, that train track, as I said, runs through there, um, kind of right by the skinning station. So you bring it in, they have these little easels. If you've Ever watched a video, if you've ever processed a deer before, there's a way to do it with just one knife. And and that is, I use a four inch knife and that's it. You take all the skin, get the legs off, cut it, fillet it, everything with just this knife. So when you look on YouTube, people are using sawzalls and stuff, find a different video. You don't need it. <laughs> that's just too much. To, yeah, it's it's not even faster. I can break down a deer. We did it when we went to, uh, Francis. Francis uh, or, yeah. yeah, I bro- the guy had a Sawzaw and everything and I was done before he was. Right, yep. Um, but anyway, in that area, they kind of skin it, then they hang it. And then there's like buckets where we dump the guts and stuff. And, uh, and then that railroad track goes back to a freezer and there's a huge freezer there. And I think you can probably fit about 10 deer per row and it's probably 10 rows wide. So you could probably put a hundred, 120 deer in this room. So come back out of the freezer right there on the right. There's a, um, a big smoker. I mean, huge. Like, you could, like body-wise, you could probably put, like, 15 people in there. Yeah. It's, it's a huge smoker. And then that front uh-huh. part is kind of like a admin area, kind of clean space. Sure. And then the other side of that long H would be the front is the store where you walk in. Yeah. And to the right, in that back corner, there's a huge freezer where yeah. they store all the meat. Okay, so I've seen that. Um, so when they talk about running out of space, they're running out of storage for hanging deer, not the pickup. Not up. the freezer, okay. But they do stress the pickup thing. I mean, you could stack... You could you could fit that storage area is huge. Sure. And I mean, you could stack boxes.
2: Right, because it's everything's a deer's consolidated down to yep. a, a couple of boxes yep. in most cases. But you can only you only have so much room to hang. Right. hang a deer. So the
1: hanging is the problem. Gotcha. So those double doors when you walk through the double doors down that H, it's all meat processing stuff. And then there's a there's like I mean there's it's a ton of big pretty stainless steel machines that are, that everything's meticulously clean. Yeah. Uh, that was how we ended every night was super hot, scolding hot water and just scrubbing everything and, and just cleaning everything. And then all, there's an offshoot to that as well with like a laundry room where we wash our gloves and um, there's like a boot storage area and, and your time card. And they have like an old school time cards where you, you put it in. It's like ka-ching, you know, and then you pull it out and put it back in the rack. that's punching the clock. That's what it means. And there's like a little hanger with gloves on it with fresh clean gloves. And, um, but yeah, that's basically it. And then he's got that huge storage area in the back where he he does a lot of his taxidermy. And um, that's cr- every time I go over, he's like, "Come check this out." <laughs> but when I went there right after deer season, he had a mound—I don't know, ten feet by ten feet, probably six feet high—of mm-hmm. antlers, just tag oh, really? antlers that went on these because you know they obviously they pull the antlers off and everything, yeah. um, and they're tagged as to what buck they go to. Mm-hmm. But I would say the majority of his money is taxidermy yeah. so the his dad kind of keeps the processing stuff but the his money comes from taxidermy and you know his wife drives a brand new escalade you know he's not hurting yeah making a ton of money with taxidermy yeah but
2: he's really good i've had a few things done by him they've i've i they've held up well they're done well so i can certainly see why people continue to uh, use him for those services he does a good job so yep um so yeah that's kind of in a nutshell uh some things to th- consider or think about when selecting a processor. If you've never done that before, it's something that you're needing to do, particularly if you're moving into a new area um, or just looking to, I don't know, find a new one. Um, we'll probably at some point touch uh, maybe in another podcast on some more, more detailed steps for actually processing deer yourself.
1: Yeah, I'd love if, to do a video
2: yeah video would be good too uh, processing a deer um, b- breaking a deer yeah. down uh that would be fun to do um
1: to show you not necessarily the right way but my you know, yeah, the way I was taught to do sure. it. sure
2: the way the way you you've done it and then we'll go through um I have most of the equipment uh that you would need to uh, to do burger and to break everything down and yeah. vacuum seal uh and just do kind of a start to finish um it's certain something you can certainly find online there's hundreds of people who have already done it, but yeah. we'll show you how we do it and add our little flair to it and drink some whiskey while we do it so
1: Um, but yeah, just like store picks, liquor stores, someone's going to tell you, Hey, this is the, this is the, this place doesn't have anything. This is a good place to go. That's the right way. Yeah. And then, um, same thing with meat processor. You get involved in your community in the hunting community. It's very similar. Um, someone's going to say, well, this is the processor I use. And then one guy, but well, this guy's $40 cheaper. This is where I go. And you know, it's up to you for me, 40 bucks. I mean, it's probably not even that big of a difference, but if it's a $40 difference, I'm going to go with. The tried, the, you know, the one with the better reviews, I guess. Agreed. And they're a cool family. Yeah, it is
2: cool. I, I like, I think that's probably aside from all the quality and everything, the fact that it is a family owned yeah. thing. Uh, when you go there, the people you're interacting with, they're almost all related in some way, yeah. shape, or Son, form. Son,
1: wife, father, yeah. daughter. Father, or. You,
2: you see the kids out there mom, sometimes. Dad, sons, yeah. Watching, learning, getting their yeah, hands on His kids
1: helped. His kids would come in there if we were real busy. He'd yeah. call them and they'd, you know, and they're, I don't, I'm not good with kids' ages 10. 11 maybe, but they're in there with a knife helping us cut stuff up. Yep. You know, you're not letting them do, um, you know, shoulder mounts and stuff, but you know, sure. cutting for a shoulder mount cause you got to right. cut it a certain way. But if we're just skinning a deer, yeah, they're in there helping or tying bags, moving, moving those 50 gallon drums around, yeah. you know,
2: that's cool. But yeah. All right. Well, so, um, we have, we'll kind of wrap this up with sort of, I guess maybe some, uh, whatever you want to call it, announcement or, uh, things to look forward to. We next next week, um, and we're going to have several guests that we're going to record podcasts with that you guys will be able to look forward to, um, and keep an eye out for. We're going to be heading next weekend to, uh, to Anderson, South Carolina for the, uh, WLS, the When Life Sucks Foundation, um, annual banquet or dinner that they do. It's a huge fundraiser. Um, the proceeds go to helping WLS do what they do for, for veterans and, um, and veteran families and things like that. Um, so we're going to have an opportunity while we're there with a bunch of uh, our friends and, and, and folks that we've networked with over the years, we're gonna have an opportunity to uh, schedule um, and record uh, a handful of podcasts with some, uh, some great guests that we're looking forward to. So that's something you guys can keep an eye or ear and ear out for yes. uh, in the coming weeks. Um, anything else you want to
1: add to that or, or- Oh, that was a good one. That was a good one. New product alert. New product alert. We are, uh, we're coming out with a line of whiskey aging sticks. So you can take White Dog, throw these sticks in there. And uh, currently I'm running, they're all Jim Beam barrels right now, which we can't advertise that obviously, but I'll say it here. But they're uh, Jim Beam barrels that we, with the charred side and the wood side. So um, we're experimenting and we're almost done. We're going to taste it now. This will be uh, week two inside there and it's starting to get some pretty good color oh is it so um, i'm interested to see how it tastes it's gonna have to be cut it's pretty high proof but um but yeah that that should be if it's not up by the time you hear this it it should be up in the next you know four or five days sweet and that's all i got
2: all right well good podcast good chat until next time we are gonna go drink some more whiskey and go chat with some other folks about whiskey
1: yep going to a bourbon club meeting tonight
2: sweet all right folks till next time later